Samba, hello again, hello there. Welcome to Monday's Richie Allen Radio Show. Beautiful day here in Salford in the Northwest. Lovely and warm this afternoon. Thanks again for finding me. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on RichieAllen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yes, the conservative political commentator David Vance, the broadcaster himself, will join the program this hour. For more on David, go to DavidVance.net. Always good value. David joins me in around about 30 minutes' time. A little bit later on, uh, I'll be joined once again by Jana London. Remember Jana, the founder of the Natural Women's Council Ireland? We spoke to her quite a few weeks ago. She was uh, trying to persuade libraries in Ireland not to carry a book called This Book is Gay, which was highly inappropriate for Irish teens. Jana will be back on the programme to talk about recent events for her and her campaigns. That's uh, the secondary. You don't want to miss that either. That's Monday's Richie Allen Show. Please join in via, via, use the app. There is an app for the Richie Allen Show. Send me a message via the app or send a message via richieallen.co.uk. Reach me, reach me, reach out to me. Monday's programme, May the 15th, 2023. May the 15th. Yeah, it's warm. It's nice. It's springy. Might even feel a bit summery. It did over the weekend. I hope you had a good weekend whatever you were doing, warm one. Got to start off with this. I want to say hi to Matty Calderwood. Now, Matty might not be listening to this. In fact, there's a very good chance he won't be listening to it. Matty graduated from the army. I think they call it passing out when a young recruit graduates from the British Army. He is an absolutely stellar lad. He's a neighbour of mine here in Weeston, Salford, and his parents are Diamonds, Barry and Tracy Calderwood, who might be listening to this probably on a catch-up programme. They are proud as punch of Matty, and well, they should be. I think he's going to Estonia as part of his first... um, what would you call it? His first, not, not his first adventure, his first placement, his first orders, and then he might be heading off to Germany. He's a really good amateur boxer, and the army is very interested in him boxing for the army. So that's Matty Calderwood and Weast, lovely kid with lovely parents. Tracy runs the Easy Wash Laundrette with her friend Jane, and everybody is proud of Matty. So there you are. All right, let's move on and talk about something not as important, not as important as that. For now, right, um, Extinction Rebellion staged protests at a conference this morning. Did you see it? The um, A conference organised by the US-based National Conservatism Movement. Don't know if you've seen any of this. Kind of interesting. So they had a, a National Conservatism Movement conference in London. It's a US-based thing. Jacob Rees-Mogg was there. Suella Braverman was there. And both of them were interrupted by Extinction Rebellion. So they were when they came to make their speeches. Kind of funny, really. Extinction Rebellion have said they were protesting about, quote, increasingly dangerous rhetoric from senior politicians. And they were ejected from the hall. I'm doing the silly news before we get to the serious news, right? Did you see this? This made me laugh, and I shouldn't laugh. I will go to hell for laughing at this, but I laughed out loud when I read this. Travellers on an intercity train in Austria were startled 
they had the bejesus scared out of them on Sunday, so yesterday, when a recording of an Adolf Hitler speech was played on board the train. These are very impressive looking trains. I posted an article on richieallen.co.uk about this story. Now, instead of getting the normal announcements right, a crowd could also be heard shouting Heil Hitler and Sig Heil over the train speaker system. What makes it even more bizarre is the operator said there had been several such incidents in recent days. One passenger on the Bregenz to Vienna service told the BBC that everybody on the train was completely shocked. And there was a Green Party MP on board. Of course there was. Virtue signalling bastard. David Steigmuller is his name. He said the speech by the Nazi German leader was played over the intercom shortly before the train arrived in Vienna. He said we heard two episodes. He said first there was 30 seconds of a Hitler speech and then I heard Sig Heil. He said this is what they heard. Das war ein Befehl! Der Angriffsteigers war ein Befehl! Wer sitzt sie? Jeder hat mich belogen, sogar die SS! Die gesamte Generalität ist nicht zweiter als ein Haufen niederträchtiger, treuloser Feiglinge! Mein Führer, ich kann nicht... It could be just somebody was saying the boiler on this train is out of order and there will be no tea or coffee service on this, the 6.55am to Vienna. Drive anybody mad. Anybody from Waterford will get this. If you're not from Waterford, you won't get it. Our train station in Waterford City is Plunkett Station, Oliver Plunkett Station, and you would get on that train mostly to go to Euston Station in Dublin, and I swear to God and to his son Jesus, I made that trip about 500 times, the 7.25am service to Euston Station in Dublin, and every time I got on that train, it didn't matter what time of year, which season you were in, this is how it went. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 7.25am service to Euston Station, Dublin. We hope you brought your flasks on board, because as usual, the boiler is broken and there will be no tea or coffee on this service. That's how it went, no tea or coffee. Didn't matter what time of year it was. Vladimir or Volodymyr Zelensky is in the UK. That was a big surprise. The media were breathless this morning. Breathless they were. Absolutely conniptions in the media when they learned that Rishi Sunak would be meeting Volodymyr Zelensky. Zelensky has to keep his travel plans very secret because the Russians are presumably trying to kill him, if you believe that, right? So Zelensky came in and he begged for more money and for more planes. Zelensky said, Volodymyr Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, he said that Ukrainians are being trained to fly fighter jets. Do you believe that, dear listener? By who? By Lieutenant Pete Mitchell? Maverick? Have they gone to Mira Fekinmar? You hear that, Tom? No? No? No, Tom Cruise? Um, flying? Uh, training who? Who's training these pilots? Where are they being trained? I reckon he's lying. Peter Hitchens, the UK journalist, the writer for the Mail Online and, and other things, was on talk TV this afternoon and he might be beginning to see through this farcical war, Peter Hitchens. We seem to be just stuck in this in this view that what has to be done is to keep fueling yeah. the, the war. And the war, which is, for the moment, successfully confined to Ukraine, I still f- feel it's odd for Ukraine to have a national leader who doesn't seem to want the war to end. No. Because it's his countrymen, it's his country, uh, which is being wrecked mm. and destroyed in this. And uh, there is, there will be a settlement at the end of it sooner or later. It mm. seems to me unlikely. That they, they well, as there always is, right? Achieved without one. Uh, and, if, and if there isn't a settlement, then there could be quite dangerous circumstances if there is a, a, a total 
uh, Ukrainian mm. victory back by the West, then what happens to Putin? Yeah. And people say, well, glad to see the back of him, as well you may, until you see the front of the next replaces one. Yes. him, which may, may mm. not be so good. So, it, But it seems to be odd, because the, the damage, we get so little, uh, it seems to me, in the coverage of this war, so little uh, telling us how bad it is mm. for Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine, all the Russian missiles which are shot towards Ukraine are shot down before they get there. Uh, we never get any reports of Ukrainian casualties. Right. We never get, uh, except occasional horror stories, never any reports of the extent of the destruction of Ukrainian cities and mm. industry. It must be huge. Yeah. Uh, and then and did it, we not must, have... it must be right to, to start thinking about how to bring it to an end. But except yeah, what we the do is keep it going. All... Very interesting there, Peter Hitchens. On the one hand, he said... He finds Zelensky strange insofar as Zelensky seems to want to keep the conflict going and doesn't have you know, any room for any sort of settlement. And then Hitchens goes on to say that he doesn't really know what's going on in Ukraine and that um, there aren't any reports of casualties and damage. And then he says, well, it must be huge, but why not? Maybe it's Wags the dog. I find it increasingly bizarre this entire situation around Ukraine. And I wonder what actually is going on in Ukraine. Remember Michael Rivero, the famous Michael Rivero, was on this programme and he got a little bit annoyed when I suggested to him. He's a journalist based in the United States. Is Michael, and he's a very good guy, very smart guy, Michael. Got kind of annoyed when I suggested that there's not, not a lot really going on there, maybe. And maybe the wool is being pulled over our eyes. You know, if they can get you to believe that a that a, a pretty harmless respiratory infection is the equivalent of the bubonic plague, and they did manage to convince many people of that in the last three years, if they can make you believe that airplanes disappear into buildings and that buildings collapse into their own footprints, free-falling down, steel-melted, concrete-pulverised after they were hit by planes, if they can get people to believe that, maybe they can get people to believe that a war is waging in an Eastern European country and there isn't any war waging there. I don't know what's going on. I'm not saying there isn't a war, but it's all a bit bizarre to me. Nobody's calling for a settlement, for an end to it. You know, anyway, the US president for the time being is Joseph Biden. And Biden these days has all... The motor skills, if you imagine Rocky Balboa living to be 109 years old, that's pretty much the analogy I would draw to explain the motor skills of Joe Biden. He's really a bit ropey, isn't he? Um, he, he? He sounds like Rocky if he made it past 100, by the way. White supremacy, says Biden. White supremacy. He, he, he addressed a graduation ceremony at Harvard University and he was really keen to point out that white supremacy is something that we'd all better watch out for, or at least the graduates at Harvard. To stand up against the poison of white supremacy, as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland, is white supremacy. I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say it wherever I go. Yeah, he was, um, behind him were about 30 African-American alumni. Maybe that had something to do with it. Um, white supremacists are no threat to the security of the United States of America. Idiots like Biden. 
I, I leave that one hanging in the air. Um, straight actors shouldn't play gay characters, says who? Well, says gay actor Adrian Moreno. This nonsense won't go away. It comes up too regularly now. Uh, this idiot was on Good Morning Britain. Here he is, Adrian Moreno. Straight actors shouldn't be playing gay characters, apparently. I think nowadays that representation should be the truest voice of a marginalised community. And historically, gay and LGBTQ plus people have been underrepresented in Hollywood. And now that we are turning that around, I feel like we need to make sure that the voice, whether in the writer's room or the casting process, especially in positions of power, that we make sure that that voice is as authentic as possible. Um, I sent a text to Ed Balls. Ed Balls presented that programme today with Susanna Reid. I texted him to say, I will give you £10,000 if you punch him in the face. Ed Balls was sitting right alongside this guy. And, and he was looking at him. Just punch him in the mouth and stop this nonsense. And the focus on marginalised is important in your eyes. Well, here, here's Ed Balls. It's a wonderful chance to virtue signal and to agree with the lunatic gay lad. Because the gay lad's a lunatic, right? And the focus on marginalised is important in your argument, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. we were listing people like Tom Hanks. Marginalised. I mean, as far as I understand, you cannot get away from gay people in Hollywood. If you throw an ice cream up in the air in Hollywood, it's going to land on the head of a gay or a lesbian person. Hollywood is overrun with gays and lesbians. Uh, the TV programmes, uh, widely hugely overrepresented. The presenters of television programmes produced and made in Los Angeles, a massive overrepresentation by gay and lesbian people. When you take a look at the demographics of the entire nation and the percentage of gay and lesbian people in wider society, what are these people talking about? Um, Sean Penn, Remy Malik, who've played gay characters as straight men. But obviously the obvious question to you is, does that mean that gay men can only play gay parts and can't play straight men, I guess. But that's on the premise that it's a 50-50 playing field as well when we're talking about marginalised communities. Um, I think there was a study last year that said out of all the reoccurring roles on TV last year that only 11% were LGBTQ plus characters. Only 11%? But less than 11% of society is gay. So you're overrepresented. If 11% of the characters on your dreadfully fucking produced television programmes, apart from what comes out of HBO sometimes, if 11% are gay characters, that's overrepresentation, dipstick. You should be celebrating that, not complaining about it. So, you know, there's not as many jobs to go for as well. So we've got to sort of make sure that we level that inequity. But can you what inequity? Can you authentically play a straight man? Wait for this. Can you authentically play a straight man? I've been told not. Um, I think Ooh. I'm openly gay, and so therefore since... He's been told not because he's as camp as Christmas. He's as camp as knickers, right? So obviously he can't play a straight man. But that's not true either, isn't it? Surely a guy who's pretty camp and effeminate can temper the campness and be a bit more, I don't know, gruff, a bit more rough, a bit more machismo in his attitude. And then he could play a straight guy, no? It's casting know that. I typically get cast not outside of my queerness. Not outside of his queerness. Jeremy Edwards was also on that sofa. He's in Hollyoaks. I, I was told by the casting director that I did by far the best audition, but it was playing a gay couple who'd lost their daughter. It was a really 
a great piece of work and I got, didn't get it because I was, ever, I was too well known as a straight actor. That's ridiculous. Edward says he went to audition for something. He was told he was the best candidate for the gig, but he was to play one half of a gay couple who lost their daughter. And the director or the casting director said, you're too well known as a straight guy. I mean, that's just bollocks, isn't it? So it's actually the, the, the what's the word, negative... Uh, um uh, positive discrimination. A positive discrimination actually already exists out there. And I don't think it's healthy because I don't think, not, I'm not resentful at all, but it can build resentment. Mm. If people, you know, more if you go to drama school, uh, you know, I think it's a real stretch to try and put yourself but in I someone else's shoes. But I think the issue being, Jeremy, and, and, would be... think about perhaps how they've grown up and take that on. And it, as an actor, But it's I think from that, a male, white, no? straight perspective. From a male, white, straight perspective. Which is Hollywood stories in general. And I think we're coming... Hollywood stories are from a gay or from a straight white perspective because straight white people still make up the massive majority of the population. Isn't it amazing that in a population where most people are white and straight that the narratives you get in television and in film are narratives about white and straight people? I really would. I'm not a violence advocate of violence but I would have loved Ed Balls to bitch slap that guy out of the studio this morning. Absolute, get out of my sight because this nonsense won't end until presenters grow some balls and start humiliating these people on air and I never set out in my entire career to humiliate somebody but the gloves are off now surely you can't allow that I used to see my studio I really did used to see my studio as as my domain as my house I wouldn't allow some idiot to come into my studio talking monumental bollocks like that You'd have to wipe the floor with this guy, right? We're to a point now where we realise when the writing's done or we see something on screen, it needs to be authentic, as in, from a gay person's perspective. How true of a form of representation yeah, is I think that for that true. gay kid I at think home watching true. it? if that's what's the most defining thing about mm. that character. Because True. you look at Elton yeah. John taking um, Taron Egerton, and he was wholeheartedly one. Now, Taron's not a gay guy, but he, Elton John's most defining character is his talent as a singer and a but songwriter. But that's so specific so hang on, to Elton, you needed the right? best. Yeah, but it's not just to Elton, is it? I mean, but it, he it happens it, a lot. So, so I think it's that. really got to be... If the, if the narrative, for example, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. I think if it was cast now, I think Tom, Tom Hanks would be wrong to take it. What? G- Jeremy Edwards from Hollyoak said if... If, if Philadelphia was cast today, Tom Hanks would be wrong to take the role. Because that was okay. purely, the narrative was purely about being a gay man. But to say that only gay men can play, gay actors can play gay roles, mm. I think is... is How about idiots? It doesn't matter what you think of Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is outstanding in Philadelphia. I mean, Tom Hanks was so good, you'd say, you'd watch Philadelphia and you'd say, Jesus, you'd swear Tom was gay, wouldn't you? You'd swear he was gay. Look at the way he looked at Antonio Banderas there. What a beautiful man, by the way, Antonio Banderas. Um, the way Tom uh, was acting. He was acting. He's a straight guy, married to Rita Wilson. But he made us believe that he was in love with Antonio Banderas' character. The magic of thespianism. We need to mock these people mercilessly, but the media just nods along. And the problem with that is this advances. You know, and these stupid ideas, all of a sudden they become reality. All of a sudden, before anybody realises what happened, all of a sudden a straight guy cannot get a gig playing somebody who's bisexual or gay. It's madness, anywho. Um, a new report has found that one in ten school children plan to change their gender 
or they've already done so, right? Now, the report is by the think tank Civitas, and it found that one-third of children are being taught that a woman can have a penis, while one in five have been told that a man can get pregnant, right? The Mail Online all over this today. And the Mail says this raises questions about the influence of harmful and graphic sex education material being peddled to the youngsters. And it puts fresh pressure on the Department for Education to issue guidance for head teachers on transgender pupils before the summer term. MPs, some MPs, and parents are outraged saying the children were being used as a psychological and sociological experiment. Now, Kathleen Stock is a former professor of philosophy at the University of Sussex. She had that post until 2021. She was driven out of it by lunatic activists. She was on Times Radio Today. What's going on? Why is this the case that one in ten children are saying that they're in the wrong body or that they want to change gender? Well, you can ascribe it to partly to the idea of changing gender being so broad and undefined that it could mean anything from telling your teacher that you want to change your pronouns to having your breasts cut off. Uh, so, and let's hope that the large numbers of uh, teenagers saying that they want to change their gender mean the former, not the latter. Um, but why it's happening is complicated, obviously, but it's, there's a strong and um, I'm afraid incontrovertible aspect of social contagion. And I mean that in the sense in which sociologists use it to, to refer to trends that sweep across populations sort of almost irrationally, um, as in and as in the trend for self-cutting uh, in teenagers if, uh, a few years ago. Yeah. So uh, that's partly what's going on. And then the media um, not talking about it responsibly is another thing. And I'm glad to see that some outlets are starting to talk about it responsibly, but being it presented as a sort of being who you really are, define your find your authentic self where that's all completely undefined means that for some kids it will be a shortcut to being cooler um expressing their own dissatisfaction or anxiety with their bodies uh, there could be a number of right uh, of reasons why they're they're doing this but quite often it's not particularly healthy very good now she's due to speak at oxford union the oxford union you probably remember hearing about that Will she still be speaking at the Oxford Union? I'm due to speak at the Oxford Union and some people really don't want me to, as uh, the news has reported. And in fact, um, the Oxford Student Union, which is slightly different to the Oxford Union, has severed, is proposing to sever links with the Oxford Union, apparently on the strength of me being invited, despite the fact they've had Martin McGuinness, OJ Simpson after his trial, <laughs> David Irvin and various other people. Um, so why are, you so, so why are you so dangerous, Kathleen? Um, well, because I'm afraid that I puncture a certain kind of, um, my presence punctures a certain kind of fantasy uh, version of events because um, a fantasy version of the world, as it were, because uh, I don't believe some things that young people are encouraged to believe are absolutely uh uh, it would be heretical to reject them. So I'm a bit of a heretic in that context. Of course, most people agree with me. So, um, you know, it's a bit of a paradox. Bit of a paradox there. Now, the Irish Refugee Council, to talk about something completely different, is claiming that rough sleeping asylum seekers are vulnerable to attacks from the far right. Again, and I say this now with, I've got to say, to emphasise, to double down, this is an opinion. I do not live in Ireland. I haven't lived there for 20 years. But Ireland's never had a far right. 
Not when I was there anyway. But the Irish Refugee Council is saying that rough sleeping asylum seekers are vulnerable to attacks from the far right. The chief executive is a guy called Nick Henderson, says there's grave concern for the safety of these rough sleeping asylum seekers because they have to fend for themselves and they are being targeted in Dublin City. Over the weekend, uh, there were confrontations between anti-immigration protesters and the Gardaí after protesters marched to the International Protection Office on Mount Street in Dublin City Centre. And RTE, the Irish state broadcaster, says that since March, a growing number of tents have been pitched outside the office and in surrounding streets. Protesters have been accused of shouting at asylum seekers, telling them they're not welcome. There was also confrontation with Gardaí as some pursued a man they objected to. There was a fire set. Um, on Friday, a tent was burned or the belongings of an asylum seeker were burned and the Irish media has been full of this today. Here's Irish Junior Minister Jack Chambers speaking to News Talk and a woman called Kira Kelly. We know that there was that attack uh, and, uh, and a burning out of, of the encampment of asylum seekers in Dublin on Friday night. We know there was an attack on a, a refugee centre on Thursday night in Donegal. What is going to be done, A, about the accommodation crisis for people here seeking international protection but also about clamping down on these this level of violent anti-immigration sentiment protest and attacks on people who come here who are vulnerable. Well the, the violence was uh, deeply disturbing um, in the last number of days and it represents uh, sinister intimidation mm-hmm. of, of really vulnerable people and it's appalling and unacceptable. The state has provided um, accommodation for over 84,000 people who've arrived here. That compares to um, just over 8,000 people at the start of 2022. So we've had uh, a a really, when you look at the response from the state, there's been a huge work conducted by many officials and public servants in actually providing accommodation for over 84,000 people um, and, and 98 people that hadn't accommodation over the weekend have now been offered accommodation. Nonetheless, we, we think there's about 500 people who don't have accommodation. What's going to happen to them? So we have a number of other um, accommodation offers coming on stream in the next number of weeks and uh, the government is, is doing all it can to um, provide additional accommodation um, and working with um, agencies across the okay. state. Um, but are you saying it's going to take a number of weeks to, so that we're going to have 500 people in tents for a number of weeks? No, no, I'm, I'm just saying it, there's there's accommodation coming on stream um, every week we have accommodation coming on stream and that's a, an absolute focus of officials but at the same time we have people still arriving so that there's an unpredictability to the numbers that arrive. Let's just get rid of him there. Do you hear that? That monotone, that monotonous arsehole Jack Chambers. Yeah, we've 80,000 come in now and be another 5,000 come in next week and then there'll be, there'll be another 17,000 come in next year and we'll make sure that we have accommodation for them. And of course there isn't any real far right in Ireland. What you have are Irish people who have been destroyed, who have had their lives destroyed by the Irish government's draconian, let's call them what they are, Nazi jackboot COVID policies. You know, the policies that cost people their jobs and that have left people broke, hanging on by a thread. Ireland has never had so many homeless people as it has now. Irish people. You never hear conversations like this about Irish people. And this is what the problem is, you see. It's not necessarily about asylum seekers because it ain't their fault. It's not the asylum seekers' fault. But you never hear this on News Talk or RTE. What are we going to do about all the Irish people who've um, found themselves down and nearly out because of the COVID nonsense that you inflicted on them? What are we going to do about them? 
people who've lost their houses. And their houses have been taken by vulture funds. They've got nothing. What are we going to do about them? Are we going to make provisions for them? Are we going to give them money? Are we going to give them housing? Are we going to build houses for them to put them in? Never. But, um, you know, and this, this is what these protests are about, largely. These Irish people, mostly, I'm not saying there are not one or two dickheads. And by the way, anybody, and I would imagine it was a tiny minority, but anybody who screams abuse at or assaults an asylum seeker, well, that person is a bit of a bastard. and They belong in prison, right, for doing that, right? If the person in the tent is minding their own business and is like, you know, I don't know what's going on here. Um, you know, reserve your rage, your righteous rage and anger for the bastards who enforce these policies and not for the Egypt who, you know, find themselves in Ireland. OK, they've come for economic reasons, fair enough. And and Ireland can't support the Irish seemingly. I get all of this. But uh, mad stuff. Far right. Is there a far right in Ireland? I don't think there is, but the Irish national media, the press, the print and the broadcast media would have you believe that there is a raging hooligan far right in Ireland that's anti-immigrant and anti-everything else. That's what they tell you. But I don't know if that's true. I doubt it to be true. 28 and a half minutes past the hour. Jan London will be on the programme a little bit later on. Before that, though, David Vance is standing by. He's just said hello. I like that. Like when they say hello, David will be with me shortly. It's Monday's Richie Allen Show. It is the 15th of May, 2023. I'm Richie Allen, the BBG, and you're very welcome to uh, to join me this evening. Good to have you on board, so it is. Yeah, 29 and a half minutes to the top of the air. Springsteen and his cover of Night Shift by the Commodores. Let's welcome back to the programme broadcast journalist, conservative political commentator to find out all you need to know about him, where to watch his brilliant podcasts and to read his articles. Do go to davidvance.net. That's davidvance.net. So obviously we'll be saying hello to David Vance. David, good evening. Welcome. Hi, Richie. Good evening. And uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to be to be back with you. I must, I must say, uh, Richie, before we start, uh, just to tell you that it, it amazes me how many of the people who listen to me obviously listen to you as well. And they really enjoy your content. So just to say that at the get go. You're very kind. And we spoke about this about three years ago, about you being a unionist and me being a nationalist. And at some stage along our journeys, us realising that this doesn't really mean anything anymore, David, right? Correct. Absolutely meaningless, uh, Richie. Absolutely. I mean, the last three years has changed so much and it's certainly blown away what I see as, in many regards, you know, um, groundless, insubstantial differences. Let's put them like that. Insubstantial differences when you're faced with a global tyranny. You know, you, you throw, you cast aside minor doctrinal differences and you focus on the big thing. And the big thing is we want our freedom. Well said. I wanted to ask you this because you, you've spent a lot of time over the years in the Republic of Ireland. The Irish, the Irish Refugee Council is claiming today that a far-right group of anti-immigration people, this is what I wanted to ask you about the existence of some sort of far-right, um, that they represent a real threat to homeless asylum seekers in Ireland. You'll be aware that outside the... I've been reporting on this this evening, actually, that, that outside the, um, the International Protection Office on Mount Street in Dublin... You've yep. got asylum seekers who have pitched up tents there and there have been some confrontations between local people and these asylum seekers. And this guy, Nick Henderson from the Irish Refugee Council, is saying that asylum seekers are vulnerable to attacks from the far right. Now, look, I'm an old lefty, as you well know. 
and maybe when I was younger I might have seen phantom enemies and I might have said far right but in reality I've never known any far right in Ireland what do you say? Again Richie amazingly we see things exactly the same it's laughable to talk about the far right in in Ireland but but this is just a phantasm that these people conjure up you know like the immigration council the truth of the matter is Richie they they are the people who constitute the greatest threat to the people of Ireland because as you well know and you probably know better than me the the rate of change in Ireland is just off the scale than the vast numbers of uh, these people claiming to be asylum seekers coming into the country and you know Richie uh, I mean Ireland's a small country compared to the UK so to bring about unstoppable demographic change it doesn't take too long Richie you know it you don't need to bring in millions and millions uh so so what I see in Ireland and I'm still in Ireland I mean now that the uh, COVID tyranny is lifted and you know I'm in, I'm in Dublin sort of fairly regularly um I just don't recognize a lot of what is what is Ireland or you know I mean it's been completely it's like these big tech big pharma vampires have come in they've uh the, the, the government shells for them and the government's intent on, I think, replacing the Irish indigenous population. And then when it's called out for this, Richie, it turns around and said, but, but, far right wing uh, extremist groups. It's rubbish. Absolute garbage. And at the moment, and I know you've been covering this, by the way, folks, check out. I know you will have checked out before and you will be on the website, davidvance.net. But the the this government, the, this current Irish government in Dublin, it's introducing a free speech law, which, um, again, if you'd said to me back in 1998 when I got my start in commercial radio in Ireland, I would never have believed such a thing was possible. Laws that include, whereby you, David Vance, could be in Dublin, you could be doing an interview with somebody, you could be doing some research for that interview, and that person might have, you know, opinions that are, um, are what's we're looking for here now, Object, objectionable, maybe, maybe not. And somebody in Ireland could, um, a guard of Shia could say to you, um, why have you got that material on your website there, on your laptop there, David? And you could say, I'm actually doing a bit of research for an interview I'm doing. And they might say, we'll prove that. And until you prove it, um, we, we're, we're going to say that that's basically hate speech, you having that material. And mm. would you come down to the station mm. with us? Ireland, see, I mean, it's almost like there's a target over the yeah. Republic of Ireland at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think actually, and this is where it's relevant to everybody, Richie, inside and outside of Ireland. Um, Ireland's a, like a petri dish, a petri date dish for this totalitarianism. I mean, this legislation that, as you know, has, has been introduced, and I'm not sure if it's had the presidential decree or not yet. Not but yet. I mean, it, it will do. Right. But the point is that what that does is it essentially criminalizes or potentially criminalizes everyone who holds views which the government uh, categorizes as being hateful. Well, that could mean, for example, the exchange we've just had about uh, the Immigration Council. Uh, if we consider these people to be threatening the Irish people, that could be seen as falling within the definition of this new um, sort of hate, hate speech, meaning that uh, if you're, well, if you or I were in the jurisdiction, we could find ourselves uh, in a Garda cell. So it's it's really, really bad, Richie. I mean, I, did you ever think that Ireland, for, for a nation that fought for its freedom, has completely given, it, given them away? No, I didn't, no. I remember back in the 99, oh. 2000, uh, Tremor in Waterford had a big influx of 
um, refugees from, I think, from West Africa or Sub-Saharan Africa. And that debate about the impact of that on the community was heard and held on the radio. And apart from one or two instances, most people managed to debate that without resorting to calling each other hate figures or hate speech mongers yeah. and, yeah. and, you know, and would, 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 would do it professionally. It's impossible now. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to make of it. I, the problem I have with it is, and I'm, I'm reading a message now from my friend Jean-Anne Crowley, a very, very successful actress, very famous woman, and Jean-Anne is saying the problem you have is wherever you look in Ireland, whether it's Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, whether it's Sinn Féin, whether it's Labour, there is absolutely no opposition. Nobody is saying, hang on a second, guys, this is madness here. We can't be doing this to people. People are allowed to think whatever it is they you know, feel like thinking. And we get to decide then who we befriend and who we don't befriend. Well, that guy's a bit mad. He's got some crazy ideas, so uh, I'll give him a wide berth. There's no opposition to any of this, none. And the media's no, but, steroids, yeah, on but, steroids. Well, but, well yeah, that, that's because it's, I mean, essentially Ireland is globalism 101. Uh, I mean, all the parties... Uh, I mean, the UK is not very, much, not that much different, though, to be fair. But but Ireland, again, because it's smaller, um, you've got this concentrated uh, globalism plan in action, Richie. And, and it's not going away. You know, I mean, COVID wasn't the end of it. COVID, in many ways, is just the introduction. And, and now you've got this uh, basically watch what you think, because if they can, you know, if they can find any evidence which or, or somebody somewhere objects to what you think, and that person is one of the protected groups, you're going to be in massive uh, trouble. I see a lot of my friends, uh, Richie, really good Irish journalists, people you know, people like uh, John Waters, people like uh, Gemma O'Doherty. These people, I think, are in peril because you just can't simply say the things that you believe uh, and not risk and knock at the door from the uh, Stasi police. And, you know, I also think, if I may say, Richie, I just think this is, by the way, you know, it's happening in Ireland first, but it'll come to the UK. You see, you see next year when Stormer gets in, don't be under any illusions. They'll follow down the same totalitarian path as the Irish governments now. And so will other Western European governments as they continue to enforce, you know, the lockstep thing. Only this time, it's about our thinking. We're not allowed to think outside of what they say. Ah, to hell with that. Do you know, um, I, I interviewed the lady, I know you know the lady, I interviewed the lady who was arrested for praying near an abortion clinic. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was able to determine, because I do my best to be objective when I do those interviews, so you know, I put the tough questions, but, but nicely, and then I would shut up and let the person speak. But I, I kind of, you know, went after a little bit, but she, she was happy enough with it, and I said, look, come on, you know, you're telling us that you were here, and but in reality, where you... Where, where are you annoying the people going in there? Where are you putting them under a bit of pressure? And it turned out that she wasn't. Not not in any way, shape or form she wasn't. She was a very respectful distance away. And as a Christian woman, she was praying not just for the unborn children, but she was praying for the women themselves that they would find some peace, that they would get some help. And to be arrested for that. Again, you see, you and I would have spoken some years ago and we would have been horrified that you could get deleted from Twitter or for Facebook because you're a conservative or because you have an opinion. That would have been, mm. I mean, that was just amazing to us. But it's it, it's gone way beyond that now. And now, like you said, it's coming here and it is coming here, but it's here it already is. that a woman could yeah. be taken away 
a Christian woman in a country that's supposed to be a Christian country. And before people start shouting at me, I'm agnostic. I'm not a Christian. Yeah. You know, but I, 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 yeah. I, I just can't get my head around that. Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely, Richie, because as, as you say, I mean, I interviewed her as well. And, and the thing that, that got me, the, the most offensive bit was when the police officer, asked, she said she'd been saying a, a prayer, uh, you know, an, 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 an internal prayer. She said it to herself. And, and that was enough. She, she, just like with this Irish legislation, it was enough for her to think, to think a prayer, mind you, uh, within that particular zone around that abortion centre. And that was it. Uh, she, she was nicked. Um, so, you know, so there's no doubt about it, Richie. This is this is what they want. They want to control us so much more than we've been controlled. And uh, and, and that's why I guess what it, may, it makes things like what you do all the more relevant and important, because, um, you know, the, the time is coming when I think they will try to censor us even more and more and more and stop us potentially criminalize us just because we stand up and say, well, no, hang on a second. I don't agree with your climate lockdown. You know, I don't agree with your vaccination program. I don't whatever it is. And people might hold different views, but we're moving fast track. Uh, I mean, Ireland's it back basically in 1984, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's and, and it's going to stay there unless something dramatic changes. And I can't see what it is, Richie, because the political parties are in lockstep, big pharma, big tech. They're all there. They're all in collusion with each other against the indigenous Irish people. Absolutely. It, it horrifies me, Richie, as a northern unionist to see it. It, it. You know, and actually, I don't see it as bad where I live, to be honest. Uh, not not that it, can, it wouldn't. It couldn't become like that. But it just horrifies me, just being honest. David Vance is our guest until the top of the hour. DavidVance.net. Check him out. You have done. But if you're new to this programme, check him out. My listeners don't believe me because they've heard me say this. Um, many times in the last two years, and I'm being serious here, I'm not joking, they don't believe me when I say the, the, the Ofcom, the, the government, Starmer's government, I believe, will charge Ofcom with regulating the online independent media. Now, I've been saying this for too long, so it's a little bit like the boy who cried wolf, but I'm convinced of it. And then any of us that are broadcasting, like you, yeah. you've got a programme coming up tonight, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, because our listeners should be tuned into that tonight at 8 o'clock. But um, I, I think that's what's going to happen. And then the, the thing, this is how I see it, and I'd love your opinion on this. Ofcom is not going to deny David Vance a licence. It's not going to deny the Richie Allen Show a licence. They're not that stupid. They will give us a licence. And it'll be, I can't remember the fee when I did online television in London. I can't remember the fee, but the fee will be whatever, a couple of hundred bucks or whatever. And then we're in then and we're regulated. And that's what they want. And then after three months then are known, you know, you're, you're a complete open forum, a complete free speech forum, you just like me. So after a few weeks, it'll be strike one moment. Somebody will make a complaint and Ofcom will say, we've upheld the complaint, David Vance, so it's only a warning for now. But two complaints down the line, they will suspend you from broadcasting and they do have the powers to compel the police to confiscate equipment. Now, I'm not scaremongering here, but that's how I see it and I see that happening within the next couple of years. But just before you come back in, again, my listeners will say, ah, Baldy, you've been saying this now for three or four years. What, what, what do you say to that? What I say to that is you're ahead of the game, Richie. That's absolutely what's coming. I mean, I mean Ofcom is essentially... Uh, a weapon that can be used against free speech people. That that's what Ofcom is, and 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 we see that uh, across the the so-called mainstream media. But the British government see Ofcom as I think regulating essentially the internet. 
I mean, this is why I see them, actually, to be honest, you know, people talk about, oh, COVID-19 virus, it was so deadly, it's so deadly. No, the British government's a virus, and I don't know what the antidote to it is, because by using Ofcom, they are all about um, closing us down. I mean, so, Richie, the fact you've been saying it for such a long time, um, unfortunately, uh, you're going to be proven right. And, and everything I see involving Ofcom, it's it's absolutely horrific. So it means that we can't, we will not be able to have our free speech conversations. You know, if we want to talk about fluffy animals and uh, and such like, fine. Uh, if we want to be reduced to the level of the mainstream media, fine. But just like you, I I like to talk about I think the things that are really relevant to to to, to my listeners, and uh, and those things you know tend to be more, a bit more controversial, and and I think they just want to stamp it out, and and basically silence us, you know. So what we saw with big tech back in 2016, Richie, whenever Twitter or Twitter 1.0, Facebook, YouTube came after people like us. Uh, you know, we saw in 2016 going right the way through. I think this will be the next stage of censorship, but it will be, as you rightly observe, and everyone who listens to you should know that you're not off on this one. It's going to be Ofcom is going to be the weapon. And so I don't see I mean I don't see Ofcom as any kind of thing other than no, just an extension of government, to be honest. That's what they are. That's what they are indeed. Now, you will be speaking with um, the, the writer and journalist Naomi Wolf this evening. This is really important because we're, we're, we'll spend a few minutes now talking about the harms that have been caused and are being caused by the COVID-19 jabs. Now, before I say anything else and turn it over to David, look, I, I, I don't believe that the COVID jabs harm everybody. I don't believe that. But my understanding is is that vaccine rollouts were suspended for a lot less over the years than um, that than is what happened with the COVID jabs. Like we we remember pandemics being suspended in two thousand and ten, I think two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, when people were coming down with narcolepsy, and it was a fraction of um, the injuries that we believe, well, not that we believe that we know, have been caused by the COVID nineteen jabs. Now Naomi Wolf made the news here last week because Ofcom found against GB News because Mark Stein interviewed Naomi Wolf and she had information about pregnant women and the jab and she had information that the pharmaceutical companies were playing hard and fast with the truth. They were lying basically when they were saying that their jabs were safe and that they were, you know, they'd been tested on pregnant women. This is hugely important. So you're going to be speaking to her tonight and anybody with a brain should be listening into this this evening. You'll tell us where people can listen in a moment. But vaccine injuries. And we have Andrew Bridgen, of course, kicked out of the Conservative Party for daring to ask questions about the COVID-19 jabs and the, and the injuries. You must be hearing a lot from people, from people who have been injured by the jabs and from people who have, you know, kind of worked around these pharmaceutical companies and they know that these jabs are far from safe, David. Well, well, yeah, Richie. I mean, I mean, this is the second time I've had Naomi on with me, and in the between the last time she spoke to me, which was October or so of last year, and now, I mean, she's been beavering away, getting the actual information, the research information in the Pfizer documentation. So all her uh, source material, it's it's the big pharma. It's it's their documentation. And so what happened, as you say, she went on with Mark Stein uh, last year toward, I think it was the first week in October, and she, uh, she, 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 she basically referenced claims based in the documentation from Pfizer. And Ofcom turned around, and as you say, just a week or so ago, they found GB News uh, 
to have uh, failed to live up to its obligations and they criticised Naomi, they criticised Mark Stein as well. It's not coincidental that Mark Stein has left GB News because because of Ofcom, and this is the point maybe Richie, because of Ofcom and the power it has over UK broadcast media, n- nobody can question the, uh, you know, the, the, the vaccines. And if you're going to make comments about adverse reactions or deaths and stuff like that, um, you know, the likelihood is that uh, you're going to have a problem, which is what GB News found. That's the reason that the BBC and Sky and the rest of them, Richie, have stayed stum for the past three years, despite the litany of yellow card, uh, you know, noted adverse reactions up to and including death. So so Naomi has done a great job. And 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 what what's the thanks she gets for that? Well, her and Mark Stein are basically uh, being given a black mark by Ofcom and, uh, you know, don't do it again. And by the way, GB News won't do it again, Richie. There's no chance, I reckon, of Naomi getting back on. So I remember talking, to, as I said, when we talked the last time to Naomi, and as you know, Richie, sometimes you have chats that go on beyond the recorded period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and she was just saying, you know, like she's someone who uh, is very familiar with the UK and uh, she loves the UK. And she was saying to me, David, I just can't believe, you know, the, the level of censorship in the UK. And that was then, that was last October. So, you know, that's quite a while ago now. Can I give uh, another she's... perspective on that just briefly? Yeah. Um, yeah. As, as like a qualified journalist and as somebody who worked in the mainstream media. So Naomi is absolutely fine, right? 100%, like n- nothing. But I think Mark Stein, and this is not personal because I don't know the gentleman, but I did watch the interview. And he made that mistake, you see. If you're presenting a news programme, you shouldn't join in with her, even if it's obvious as the nose on your face that what Naomi is saying is true. Naomi Wolf, you've got to be a bit sceptical and kind of set her up a bit, you know, by saying, well, hang on a second now, Chris Whitty said this and, you know, and he didn't do that. And I said on my show last week, to, to some to some criticism, I got some stick from my listeners. I said Ofcom and I hate them. I don't hate anybody really, but I, I, I loathe Ofcom. They were yeah. right to say that he didn't do his job properly. You know, I would have said, no, Naomi, hang on a second. I would have told her beforehand I was going to challenge her but also give her loads of room then to say, well, hang on, Richie. And also, Mark Stein should be able, or his production team should be able to demonstrate that they reached out to, I don't know, somebody from the the MHRA, the regulator, to put the other side. And I don't think they did. So Naomi is perfect. Naomi's a commentator. She's a journalist. Done her job brilliantly. Very important. But I think Mark Stein left her down a bit. That's my opinion, and then you can shoot yeah. me down for saying well, that if you well, want. Well, actually, Richie, those, those are very fair-minded points, and and, and and you know, I would have thought it was for the people producing the Mark Stein show yeah. to cover mm-hmm. to cover those angles because yeah. clearly, as you said, clearly Stein. I mean, he he he's as much of a commentator himself as a presenter. I Pretty mean, he much. has his own opinions. I've followed Mark for many years, uh, Richie, and so so Mark Stein has his opinions. Uh, and, and yes, when he was doing that show, he did show undeniable bias towards the line that uh, Naomi was uh, was was taking. But but in a way, though, that still doesn't excuse Ofcom no. because of, Ofcom's published criticism of her. I mean, they, they were doing the same. They were using the same approach with her that the Conservative Party used with Andrew Bridgen yes. because they brought up the Holocaust, I mean, which is, you know, really interesting given that, you know, Naomi's of Jewish heritage. Right. Yeah. So. You know, but they brought up the Holocaust line with her. They they brought up oh she talked about murder and all of this stuff. And I know it, it was a hit job. And and actually, you know, whilst 
I totally get what you're saying, Richie, and it's fair. But for all that, this was Ofcom basically making it really, really clear to the media that you're not going to touch this subject. You you're are right. not going to talk about You are right. Theory. You are 100% right. Everything you said there is right. Exactly. My point would be, and again, I don't dislike Mark Stein. I've never met him. I'm glad that he put that information out there. I really am, because it probably saved some lives. I really believe that. But don't make it easy for them, is what I would say yeah. to presenters. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, no, yeah that's, and, and, that's, and that is fair comment. And that's where, where, you know, the likes of GB News bothers me a bit, because I think they're, they're, they're quite amateurish and uh but maybe that's just the name of the game i i don't know plus i think there's some problematical presenters on gp news as well mark stein actually mark stein was one of the few that i could actually bear to tolerate you know so uh the fact that mark has gone the other thing about mark stein as well bear in mind that mark stein uh is vaccinated Mark Stein did have, I think, two heart attacks. So I guess you'd say he's skin in the game, if you know what I mean, Absolutely. Richard. To be fair, and Naomi, to be fair, fell for the whole scam hook, line and sinker, didn't she, at the beginning, before she wised up to it, as far as I understand, as some of our listeners are telling us. But um, she's done a stellar job with, with that data and processing it and putting it out there. And what yeah. remains, what yeah. remains an absolute fact is the claims made by her on that programme are demonstrably true they are provably true uh, David it's uh, six minutes to the top of the air you wanted to come back there sorry Mick go ahead yeah no j- j- just to say I think from talking you know ahead of tonight from from my pre- sort of preliminary chats with uh, Naomi the bit that she's most sort of stunned by is the fact that she feels that you know she was censored for saying things that as you just said Richie are demonstrably factually based in Pfizer evidence so, so she says, how can they criticise me when I'm actually quoting Pfizer? And, and, and she's right. We'll, we'll talk about that more tonight when she's on. But I mean, uh, you know, I, I do tell, uh, as always, Richie, you're very fair-minded regarding, you know, GB News could probably have done better to cover Mark Stein's backside in this one, so we've not exposed. But anyway, I mean, the fact of the matter is he's subsequently left the platform and uh, Naomi continues to do her stuff and gets lots of publicity for it. And that saves lives as well. No doubt about it. Just a final one, thanks. I know you're, you're, you're running off to prepare for, for your show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where, um, David Vance.net, obviously, but um, I know you're on some of the video sharing platforms as well. Where can yeah. people watch the show? Yeah. Yeah, you can watch it tonight, folks. If uh, I, I'll tell you, Richie, it's not going out on YouTube because YouTube is a hateful anti-free speech platform. No, I, won't, I put very little out on that. Otherwise, I get strikes. So I'm on Rumble. Uh, uh, I'm on Odyssey. I'm on DLive. I'm on going out on Twitter, going out on Getter. It's going out across the known universe other than the hateful channels that are uh, YouTube and Facebook. So uh, people tune in at 8 o'clock. And Naomi's great. I mean, she's really great to chat to. A super intelligent lady. Uh, an interesting example, Richie, again, of someone who I would have gone back in time 10 years ago had big issues with her views, to be honest. You know, she was kind of like quite an arch feminist. All that's fallen away. I don't see that at all anymore. I see someone that's passionate about, you know, making uh, life for, for, say, pregnant mothers and whatnot as safe as possible. And that's why she's so driven by this project of getting the information out so that uh, people can see exactly what Big Pharma have been up to. Well said, David. Thanks for coming back today. Have a great show tonight, buddy. Thank you very much. Continued success. Cheers, Richie. Bye-bye. Thanks, David. Bye for now. David Vance, um, political commentator, broadcaster and writer, as I've already said, but I'll say it again. His website is David Vance.
Podcasts.net. Um, yeah. Most interesting thing about our conversations over the years was when I teased out of him a few years ago because he would have been known as a staunch unionist, you know, and he would have had battles, um, you know, fair discussions and heated debates and whatnot with nationalists. And I asked him when I first spoke to him, do you realise now that none of that matters a damn? And he said, yeah. He said, it's a strange realisation, you know, that none of this stuff, these identities that we adopt, these ideologies that we embrace mean a damn thing when every one of us is under a jackboot and it's the same jackboot, yeah, David Vance. So yeah, he'll be speaking with Naomi Wolf later on on his programme. Do check it out. Do give him a follow if you're new to him. Uh, Jana London will be with me in a few minutes' time. I think I might take uh, a, a piece of music now and then come back and read as many of your messages as I can. I'll do my best because they are voluminous uh, through the app and through the website and I, I, I hope you'll appreciate that I can't read out every one of them. Since the app has come online, the messages to the show have just gone nuts. I mean, we always got a lot of comment on the website, but now it's insane. And I've nobody here sifting through them. Not that we want to censor anybody at all. But, um, you know, to synopsize them or any of that kind of malarkey, it's just me here. I'll read a few of them out in a minute, all right? And we'll, um, we'll speak with Jana London then. This is The Richie Allen Show. It is the world's most listened to independent news radio show. And I'm Richie Allen, the presenter, broadcasting live from Salford here in the northwest of the UK. This is Debbie Harry, and I want that man. Debbie Harry and I Want That Man on Monday's Richie Allen Show, two minutes past the hour of six o'clock. It is on the 15th of May, 2023. Thank you for your messages. I'm struggling momentarily, but I will get her on um, to connect to uh, to Jana. So um, we're, we're going to do it um, over the WhatsApp instead of over the phone. So I'm hoping that will get her uh, lined up. But while we do that, I'm going to read some of these comments, as I said I would. Hi to Kev in Tyrone, who says, There is no far right in Ireland. Just people pissed off with government. Funny, people like that used to be called far left, says Kev in Tyrone. And he's, he's absolutely right. Uh, to say that. Thank you, Kev. Let me scroll on down. Objective Truth says, Richie, with regards to people getting to a point where they will stand up for themselves, we need to realise they are expecting that. That is, the system is expecting it. They are prepared for it and it's a part of the process. Break us down until we can't take no more. Then we will beg them to save us from the anarchy and they'll rebuild this prison. We live on an ant farm until WW4 says Objective Truth. Just, just use any first name. Bill or, or Mary will do. How about that? Um, Kean says, Richie, hope you had a great weekend. I just watched an interesting film called Silent Night with Kira Knightley. 2021 it was. Thank you for that. Uh, Christine says, Richie, I think Mark himself is vaccine injured. Mark Stein, that might be the case. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, that's Catherine says, love listening to David Vance. Thank you, Catherine. Tony is in Rotherham. Hi, Tony. Nigel says, the West African refugees who arrived in Tremor 20 plus years ago are still there. And now we have lots of Ukrainian refugees in the town as well. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Nigel, shall we get Janet London on the show, shall we? Let's get her on. And she's connected to me. Isn't that lovely? Isn't it just wonderbar? 
the um, the technology is just fantastic, right? Let's give her a quick call and we'll get her on. Um, she's an advocate, by the way, is Jana, uh, for health, <coughs> excuse me, for health freedom, uh, children's rights and the rights of families. And she founded the Natural Women's Council of Ireland. Now, the last time we spoke to Jana, she came on to talk about her campaign to persuade libraries in Ireland not to carry a book called This Book is Gay because the book was undoubtedly, is undoubtedly highly inappropriate um, for teenagers. It just is. And she continues to campaign on that and other issues. And lately she's been making national news in Ireland again. And most recently I spoke to her on Thursday of last week um, because on Wednesday of last week she had been attacked by a trans activist while giving a speech in Dublin. Let's welcome back to the programme, Jana London. Hi Jana, welcome. Hi, Richie. Happy, uh, what is it? Happy Monday. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's an honour to have you. I tell you what, you made me You made me smile. You showed remarkable composure when that person ran up to you and threw liquid in your face last Wednesday. Because in this nutcase age we live in, you just don't know how far people might be prepared to go. And you, I don't know, you were like a secret service agent, Jana, or something. You just kept completely calm and carried on. Carry on. I, I just thought it was fantastic. But um, it, it was serious too, wasn't it? Very serious. It, it was serious. And I've done a lot of reflecting since that incident last week. And I suppose there's many ways that I could have handled it uh, at that moment in time when an unidentified bucket of uh, liquid was, was thrown at me. And looking back now, there's also different ways I can handle it, which I've I've been reflecting on the best way to handle it. Now, I have decided I need to follow through with the assault charge at the guards, uh, which I have a meeting with the DPP on Thursday. But my initial ins- my initial thought, and, and speaking with a, a, a few dear friends of mine, was I would love to actually sit down with this person who threw this at me to really ask them, you know, you don't know me as a person. Do you know what I was speaking up for? You know, I have no problem that you're over 18 and you want to identify as a, I think he identifies as the, transgender fairy or something or identifies whatever you want to as an adult what i'm speaking about is not putting this in children's faces and and confusing kids so my heart says i'd love to meet with this person explain who i am and what i'm doing and and what i'm speaking up about and ironically the person who allegedly threw this at me we think we know who did it because they've been boasting about it on their instagram accounts and such uh they were out protesting during the COVID times and they were out you know protesting some of the things that I was speaking up about as well. So perhaps we have more in common than the, actually they know, but they've been also weaponized by, by the media to think that I am the enemy. That's very interesting. This person who threw this liquid water was in fact aware of the tyranny of some of the COVID, well, all of the COVID restrictions and was out protesting against that and yet can't see the tyranny of screaming at a woman and throwing something at her because she has an opinion on something uh, or other. But you know what I found in recent years, trying to cover this and give a bit of balance to it? When I've reached out to Stonewall and to individuals, they come back with a kind of a sneering, we don't debate bigots. And that seems to be the get out of jail card. That seems to be the way to avoid having a grown up conversation about these issues at all, is we don't debate transphobes, we don't debate bigots. And that's terribly sad and terribly scary, because if an entire generation of people are being conditioned to think that, you know, 
you know, a, a contravening or a contradicting opinion is something to be hated rather than something to be embraced, whereby you might learn something about somebody else. That doesn't bode well for the future of our kids, Jana. No, it doesn't. And actually, it, it's quite a hypocritical position as well, because if the whole idea of rolling out this transgender ideology in schools uh, in this September is all about kindness, inclusion and diversity, I find it quite hypocritical that we're not allowed to have diverse thought and different opinions. And, you know, somehow parents speaking up about this are labeled as far right simply because we have genuine concerns for issues that impact our children's health, well-being and future. So that's not really diverse thinking and inclusivity, is it? If different thoughts aren't allowed, throw the hate speech law in and that's a whole different uh, yeah. ball game. Let me, because I have to, do, it's only fair I do this, even if they won't come on and join in a friendly, mm -hmm. even if it's a robust conversation. So let me be them just for a few minutes. Look, I, I remember years ago being asked by my boss who happened to be gay, would I accompany him to a disco that happened once a week and it was for gay men and lesbian women because there was some ugliness from people who didn't like the fact there was a gay disco. And he was right, there was some ugliness, right? So I went along with that. So while I have no doubt that you're, from speaking to you and from looking at you online, that you're not uh, bigoted in any way, that you're genuinely concerned for children and that you're a pretty kind person. There are people out there who might want to attach themselves to protests such as yours because they genuinely hate or are repulsed by or revile gay people. Like those people still exist. They might not exist in the numbers they did many years ago, but those people are still out there that would rather that gay people would, you know, basically disappear off the face of the earth. What do you say to that? And trans They're people. Probably, yeah, there are probably people who have those views. And luckily, in my 20 years living in Ireland, I have found the Irish people. I moved here 20 years ago on a work assignment as a senior manager in uh, a multinational company. And in my 20 years here, I have not seen any racism other than occasionally people slagging the American in a, in a kind, you know, cheeky way. I have not seen homophobia or transphobia at all. I'm sure those people exist. They're certainly not in any of the organizations that I work with or the one that I founded. We don't have hate towards any people at all, but I, I am sure that these people must exist. But thankfully, I've not witnessed it myself and they're not in any of the, the circles that I associate with. Yeah. And, and if you... What I do... Go ahead. Sorry, Jana. No, and it's it's not something you can do anything about. You're not motivated by prejudice. You're motivated by what's right for children. And if these people exist, well, you can't be expected uh, to apologise for them. I do. I do understand that. Uh, Jana London is um, is our guest. Listen, I don't don't know how much time we have. I mean, we have as much time as we need in this hour. But it's a pretty good day to have you on. Because um, as I've been covering on my website today, there have been a couple of big stories. The, the think tank Civitas has found over here that um, one in 10 children, school children, either want to change gender or have already begun that process. That's startling. Now, Kathleen Stock, who's an academic, you'll be well aware of who Kathleen Stock is. She says that she thinks this is some sort of contagion that's spreading amongst children because of the things they are being asked to 
to think about in schools, a contagion. And she kind of likened it, she, she was speaking on Times Radio today, she likened it to that period when youngsters who were a bit distressed were cutting themselves. She says it's a contagion and it's because of what's happening in schools. That's startling, isn't it? One in ten school kids in the UK want to change gender. That's that's mad, really. It- it is, it is, Richie, a contagion. And what I fear is that one in 10 is just the tip of a very small iceberg. And this is before it comes into the curriculum whereby, and I have the books here in front of me, uh, a teacher has, has provided me with a copy of all of the books of the proposed curriculum. So if the one in 10 is before teachers in an authority figure, teach children that boys can become girls and girls can become boys and that gender is simply how you feel may not be your birth sex. That one in 10 will end up being five out of 10, six out of 10. And before you know it, you have a lost generation of children who don't know who they are. And you think about the age that this this curriculum is being proposed for for September this year is the junior cycle, which is age 12 to 15. And those are the kids who are their hormones are changing, their bodies are changing. We all remember going through puberty. We were at times angry, confused, and that's a natural. Puberty. So I was at a conference in Killarney recently, a few weeks ago, the Genspect conference, which was excellent. And one gentleman spoke and said, he, he's a gay man, he said, for me, puberty was the solution. So for me, being confused as a child or adolescent, puberty was a solution. And if we push on these boys and girls that they can change their gender, they can take puberty blockers across sex hormones, that actually stifles the natural solution of natural puberty. And nobody Not to knows. mention the danger of all those drugs as well. Well done. And nobody knows what the long-term health implications will be for stopping puberty. Like what might happen to people in their 40s and 50s and 60s, Jana? We know some of it. I have, an, I have a, a great leaflet here I picked up at the conference from, a, um, from the Paradox Institute. They're at uh, theparadoxinstitute.com. They have a really nice flyer. And we do know that puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones can compromise bone health. They can prevent maturation of the brain, cause infertility, deteriorate genitalia, and triple the risk of heart disease. And I had the, had the pleasure of meeting about six very brave young people who had gone through training transition, gone through the puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries, the full the full change, thinking that maybe their problems would go away and they would become a new person. However, they woke up and said, actually, this has only exasperated uh, my problems. And they're detransitioning back to their birth sex. And to say their stories were heartbreaking would be an understatement. And I commend those brave people for speaking out. But they're now being We've lost. They've had people in the trans community say, oh, whoops. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, you're back. You're back. We lost you for about oh, two seconds. We didn't miss anything. Oh, yeah, go yeah, ahead. So th- these brave people uh, who are detransitioning back to their birth sex, they are being silenced by the trans community and bullied and gaslighted. Some of them have had the trans community say, well, you weren't really trans. If you're detransitioning, you weren't really trans. So they're being ostracized by that community as well and feeling very, very lost. It's, it's, it's quite sad what, what's happened to some of these, these children led down this, this garden path. Yeah, and the ultimate then might be surgery. And we know the media in this country is deliberately censoring people who had surgery, but who say, I regretted it and I wish I hadn't. Now, I must also say for a bit of balance, um, three or so years ago, I interviewed Diane, who's a transsexual woman living 
in Munster, right? And Diane was obviously born a man and had to deal with gender dysphoria and had surgery and it was the right thing for Diane and it was a lovely interview and she was lovely explaining all of that process and what have you. Um, but, but, but we don't have an open discussion where we hear by, you know, where you would hear from someone like Diane or where you would hear from someone who went down the transition route and kind of wished they hadn't. Can I introduce to the conversation, I couldn't believe this today, and I really couldn't, I'm not saying this for effect, the World Health Organization has been hammered by conservative MPs in this country and asked to withdraw new guidance it has drawn up for schools about sexuality education for young children. Now, this is genuine. I'm not making this up. It's a 68-page report. Called, I have it in front of me right here. <laughs> unbelievable. I'm going to give the, the lowlights to our listeners very briefly, and then you can jump in. Standards for sexuality education in Europe. It was first published in 2010, but the WHO has dragged it out. It's dusted it down, and it says now that this should be mandatory. What it suggests is, is that conversations should take place with children under four to provide them with information about the enjoyment and pleasure when touching their own body and childhood masturbation. Under four. Under four. I probably couldn't read very well when I was three years old. I was barely able to walk probably when I was three years old. I was probably still using an... I, I'm, I'm really selling myself here now, aren't I? I was probably using a, a diaper, as you might have said years ago, a nappy when I was three. But to talk to children about sexuality and masturbation under four. Where, where did they come up with this stuff? Like, Based on what? I think in my own personal view, from reading the 68-page the WHO document, from reading all of the materials I have here in front of me, the health, new health and well-being SPHE guide provided by EDCO EDCO, I honestly believe, Richie, that the end result here is to sexualize and indoctrinate children, to confuse children, to break down society and civilization, but also, from other documents I've read, is to decriminalize and normalize pedophilia. To decriminalize and to normalize pedophilia. It's not that long ago that a UK government minister, she's not in government now, she's in opposition, Harriet Harman, was involved with the Pedophile Information Exchange a group that lobbied pretty hard in this country to lower the age of consent to 13. And you think that sort of stuff now is coming back, do you? I absolutely do. The WHO document that I have that you referenced has on here that age nine, I'm just going to flip to the age nine section here, age nine to 12 should be talking about uh, sexual behavior of young people, should be talking about first sexual experience, uh, talking about different types of contraception. And I'm sorry, but my little girl is going to be nine in about a year. And I don't think that she should be taught about sexual experiences, contraception, orgasms, and those such things at age nine in school. That is not age appropriate. And speaking of age appropriate, I have another document here, the Children's First Act of 2015, that any listener can certainly look up. It's on the TUSLA website. And part of uh, emotional abuse... Uh, on the emotional abuse area is seriously inappropriate expectations of a child relative to his or her age and stage of development. So from an emotional perspective, age four is not ready to learn about how to masturbate. Age nine is not ready to learn about contraception and sexual intercourse and consent. So that that's really worrying if you're teaching an age nine that. Uh, 
why is that? Why? And yeah. looking at library books, the very sexually explicit library books, which I did an interview with um, Michael Reed on LMFM. And I asked him, you know, why, why would an age 12, why, how, why should they learn about these sexual fetishes, which if adults want to do them, that's fine. But things like fisting, which is anatomically dangerous, that is not physiologically correct for the body. Why would an age 12 learn about fisting, anal sex, blowjobs and hand jobs at age 12? And these are public books in our public libraries that we've been getting, trying to get off the shelves. And then you look at the WHO document and then you look at the SPHE health and well-being document. And it all ties into sexualizing and indoctrinating children from the age of nine. And to do that would be would be grooming them, which is also part of the Children's First Act. Now, or, the, Irish, normalizing the, the, it. the Irish government and the Department for Education repeatedly states, so I'll get your take on this, it repeatedly states that the world as seen by a 12-year-old in 2023 is very different to the world seen by a 12-year-old in 1983. And that th this type of education is necessary because like it or lump it, children are being exposed to, and when you say that that particular activity is anatomically incorrect, you're absolutely right. I could never get my head round any of that sort of thing. You know, I've never been prudish at all. But um, yeah, nasty stuff, I would say, you know, but what consenting adults do in their own bedrooms is their own business. But that's particularly nasty stuff as far as I'm concerned. But they would say the Department for Education, look, Jana, you're being naive. The kids are seeing this stuff on TikTok. They're seeing it on porn sites that are readily available to them. And we need to tell them about it before they get it from those sources. What's your response to that? Yes, I think that uh, regarding, I suppose it would be down to the pornography topic, and I know that's also being, uh, they're trying to push pornography into the junior cycle age 12 as well, and they've talked about things such as ethical porn, and the porn Dr. Kate Dawson from NUIG had quoted on the Ray Darcy show in 2019 that, you know, porn can be healthy due to the imagery, and there's such a thing as ethical porn, which for a child, porn is not ethical in any way. So the argument that some people have made is, well, kids are going to see it anyway, you know, let's talk to them about it. I don't disagree that we should safeguard children and talk to children that, you know, pornography is out there. Uh, however, uh, pornography is not, it does not depict what a normal, uh, se a healthy sexual relationship is. It would be comparable to a movie. So you see superheroes jumping from building to building and diving in the sky. Uh, pornography to sex is like a superhero is to a normal person. You know, we're not going to jump across skyscrapers without obviously getting killed. Yeah. So pornography yeah. is out there, but it is not a realistic, healthy sexual relationship. And then the, the RSE program in the Irish schools being proposed for September, it's very highly sexually explicit, talking about sexual pleasure and all things sexual. But it misses, the, the thing that it misses is the relationship part of sex. So it's highly sexually explicit for children age 12, but it doesn't talk about sex being a healthy, mutually respectable relationship. But there's not enough emphasis on the relationship. Yeah. It's, it's just down to the sex and the pleasure as an act. And as long as you can consent, it's okay. Yeah, that's a very good point. 
a really good point. We, we're speaking with Jana London. Jana um, set up the Natural Women's Council of Ireland, um, advocating for health, freedom, and the freedom of children and family rights uh, for the rights of children and the family. But we have um, a detractor. Let me read this. I don't know what this means, but I want to read it anyway. Lest I be accused of censorship, which is not something I do. Eamon says, "Wait for this. This might make you laugh." Uh, this foreign American woman. How dare you, Jana, be foreign and be American. Um, She set up an extreme anti-man, anti-family and anti-child organisation. This council is responsible directly for the madness in Ireland now and the ruin of countless families, easily pulling the wool over your eyes, Richie. I don't know what that means, Eamon. If you'd like to rewrite that with a specific um, charge about something that the the council did or said that that you object to, I I don't understand that. But are you anti-man, anti-family and anti-child, Jana? Not at all. We call ourselves the Natural Women's Council. And the word natural uh, triggered Michael Reed from LFF, LMFM. He said, yeah. oh, so what you're saying is natural. What is a natural born woman? I explained what's a woman who's born as, as a woman, as I am. Oh, so anyone who's not is weird, unnatural, weird. I said, no, they're not weird. And so we're all about the, the woman and the children, but ultimately the family unit. And I have a lot of men who come and support my events, support, um, you know, luckily there were a few men there that blocked the the unknown substance of fluid getting poured, poured at me. So I have as many men at my event as I do women. We are all about child protection, women's rights as far as women's spaces. We don't believe that a, a male should be using women's toilets or playing in women's sports or any such thing. And we're all about the family unit. So anti-man could not be further from the truth. We we completely support biological sex. There are only two sexes. There are men and there are women. And women need men and men need women. Fact of life. Uh, so I don't know where that statement came from at all. I don't either. I've seen some strange things by this particular user of the website before. Generally objectionable, I think. But fair enough, I've, I've read the comment out. I'll tell you what I said to a trans person I met. Um, through the show, who doesn't like the show very much, a couple of years ago. And I, I, not the best in the world to articulate these things on the spot, but I said, look, trans people are not normal. And that's not in the, that's not in the rude, um, attempting to hurt somebody kind of way. That's not dehumanising the person. What I mean by normal is, is that the great majority of people do not identify as trans. The great, great, great majority of people happen to be people who are comfortable as the biological sex they were born. And that's the way of it. And I said to this trans person, that um, is something that I think some younger trans people struggle to come to terms with. And what they're attempting to do, particularly some of these groups like Stonewall, is to get the rest of us to play some part, to play some role in their fantasy for want of a better way of putting it and to act to all intents and purposes like this is normal when it isn't normal it isn't normal to say i'm i am a woman when you are a man with a fully intact penis that isn't normal but again when you say stuff like that you are immediately accused of some sort of dehumanizing stance when nothing could be further from the truth of course you're a human human being you should have the same human rights as me but you don't get to say that this is normal not to me, you don't, as a journalist, because it ain't bloody normal. And I, th- that's one of the things I see going on here. I don't know what you think of that. And we've lost Jana. She must have fell asleep. She must have been bored to death and fell asleep on the uh, bench. She's sitting outside doing the, uh, the conversation. Let me see if we can dial her back up. The connection might have uh, dropped out there. Are you back, Jana? Are you back in the room? No. 
she's not. We'll disconnect and reconnect and hopefully we'll get her back on. At the time, it's 27 minutes past the hour. If you happen to be a trans person, right, listening to this, there's no dehumanising aspect of what I just said there. But um, what you identify or purport to be isn't normal. It's not the norm. It never was the norm and it never will be the norm. It's the exception to the rule. There's nothing wrong with that. There isn't anything wrong with somebody saying, I prefer to... Are you back, Jana? Are you back in the room? Relocate. They're teaching a class at the hotel and I I am back. Can you hear me now? Ah, I can hear you loud and clear. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you loud. I thought you'd fallen asleep. Yeah, Grant. Sorry about that. No, I thought you'd fallen asleep, to be honest. I was was prattling on for so long. I thought you dropped off. But you you got the gist. Yeah, you got the gist. It's not normal. It isn't the norm and... You know, I would object to any attempt to, you know, to, to, to coerce me into playing along with that and, and saying it's normal when it patently is not normal. It's not normal. And I believe that if anybody tries to push their beliefs about this on people and say, you must think as I think, you must believe as I believe. And if you don't, you're hateful. Well, that is a very narcissistic approach to say nobody's allowed to disagree or I think differently. And, you know, I've been accused of being a bigot because I've said there are only two biological sexes. There's male and there's female. That's the fact of life. That's that's a biological fact. I've been told that's bigoted. I've been called far right for saying that when, you know, that that's a fact. And I don't know how we got into a place in society where we can't disagree. We can't debate and how we can be considered hateful for having a different opinion. And the fact that the hate speech law, they're trying to push the hate speech law in. If we actually say that, you know, a woman doesn't have a penis, will that be considered hateful? Can we come back to that in a minute? Jana London is our guest. Uh, Patricia has been on to say, is it wrong to suggest that this programme of confusing children around their identity and gender is just another form of eugenics for the psychopaths. Because if girls become boys and boys become girls, there won't be a hell of a lot of procreation happening, just wondering. What do you say to Patricia? That's an interesting point. I do think that, you know, this is all tied to, um, and it's, although some people still consider it a conspiracy, it's not a conspiracy. This is all tied to, I believe, the Agenda 2030. Anyone can look it up if they don't believe it's out there. And I believe that they want to break down society. People who change their or try to change the biological sex are most likely going to be infertile. And the saddest thing is not only will they not be able to procreate, have a family, uh, but they are losing love. So at the conference I went to, they said that, you know, if somebody tries to change their gender, they reduce their dating pool by 95%. So they are being denied of love. They're being denied of having children. And, you know, it's really sad. and, And they will never have, most likely never have an orgasm. So they 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 don't have love, they don't have sexual pleasure, and they won't have children. All because they've been led down the garden path that you may be confused, you may be in the wrong body. Take these drugs and get the surgery, and your life will be better. And then they wake up in a few years and say, actually, it's not better. So they're being sold a lie. Uh, it costs about a million dollars to tra- medically transition. Perhaps it's a, a financial interest for some people. Perhaps it's depopulation, as Patricia said, or perhaps it's it's all of the above. Maybe all of the above. Let, let's talk about the proposed law in Ireland, which we first heard about last October, if memory serves. 
It's an act that's supposed to replace the 1989 Prohibition of Incitement to Hatred Act. It's um, the Incitement to Violence or Hatred and Hate Offences Bill 2022. I spoke about it a little bit with my previous guest, David Vance, and ultimately this is this is the government attempting to police the thoughts of the Irish populace, isn't it? It can't be seen any other way. Do you want to explain to us, Jana, how you see this bill and what, what, it, what it might mean for people in Ireland? Yeah, I, how I see the bill is this, is it's not it's not a hate crime bill, really. It's a thought crime. And you don't even have to actually commit the crime to be uh, a criminal if, if it plays out the way they want it to be. So it could, uh, there's been one senator really speaking out about it, Sharon Keoghan, um, who's, who's been vocal, but most of them have voted to pass it. And um, so... For example, a, a guard could show up at your door and say, we believe something on your computer or your phone is hateful under these you know, categories. L- we need the password. Show us your computer. And they want to see your computer, see your phone. There could be material on there. Maybe it's material I've created against the transgender ideology in school. I've not committed any crime or hate towards anybody. But if they feel the material is hateful, you can go to jail or be fined. Um, so it's more of a thought crime. And, you know, you mentioned 1989. Uh, it's it's um, you mentioned that year. And this to me says this is more like, you know, 1984, George Orwell. This is creating a totalitarian society where people feel they have to be silenced. But I think the only way if this gets passed, the only way to deal with it is mass noncompliance. I'm a free woman in Ireland. My children are free are, are free people. We can continue to speak. We're not causing harm to anybody. We're not causing harm by having a thought. It might hurt someone's feelings, but that's life. So mass non-compliance, there, there wouldn't be enough room in the prisons to, I like it. Uh, to enforce this, would it? I like it. It's something I suggested when I first heard about it last year. I suggested that, you know, courageous journalists, if there are any left at all, or writers or even public figures, if they're in any way disturbed by this, in fact, they should be disturbed by it, they should test it out. They should do take one for the team and en masse should test it out, should put something out there mm-hmm. that might test this law and clog up the courts. I agree, Jana, because it is absolutely dystopian in every sense of the word, isn't it? It's horrendous. It is. And and I tested I tested out the the mask mandates. I tested out the stay five kilometers from your home mandates. You can't leave your home. Uh, I didn't wear a mask. I walked into shops. I didn't get the injection. So I wasn't allowed to be part of uh, much of society. My kids and I drove 30 kilometers and went to the beach. We hiked Sugar Loaf Mountain. We went to the forest and my children and I never got sick during the COVID. We never made anyone else sick. We lived, we breathed, we had fun and we laughed and we loved and we didn't play into the 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 three ring circus that the government was trying to create. And um, and that, you know, I, I met guards on the road every day going to the beach for my mental health. Great. Go on. You, on you go. I mean, they couldn't possibly with if there was enough mass noncompliance, they could not have enforced it. No. Unfortunately, many of the Irish people, because they're very kind, they wanted to save granny, flatten the curve, protect the neighbor, uh, call the guards on their neighbor if there was a strange car visiting and all that. They fell right into the trap because they really thought it was for the greater good. But hopefully with the child protection things we're working on, uh, hopefully they cannot see that teaching a child a boy that they can become a girl or a girl they can become a boy hopefully no one in ireland's uh, society thinks that that's under 
the guise of kindness or inclusivity. And do you see, because we'll let you go in a minute because I know you're busy, but do you see a groundswell of opposition to this happening? Is it occurring? Are more people saying, well, hang on now, we've got to stop this, like we can't have this in schools, maybe when they hear about the World Health Organization plan for under fours, but is there a groundswell happening of opposition? I think there is a groundswell of people who disagree with it. I think that, I mean, when I've spoken to people on the ground, in their heart of hearts, they don't want it. And anyone who did originally support these policies, once they read the detail and take the time to actually read and understand it, they turn against it as well. However, there's very few that really dare to speak up publicly. Uh, But what we hope uh, in the Natural Women's Council and all the groups I work with is that parents will call their school, meet with a teacher, I did, meet with the principal, like I did, and send a letter in. Because even teachers and principals don't want this, and many of them don't even know it's happening. So although maybe many many people can't speak up vocally, as I have, put, getting myself out there, there are people who do oppose it and are doing it in their own way through meeting their schools and sending our letters in through the letter campaign. Well done, John. And where should um, people find you online? Where should they go to find out more? Yes, yeah, so we have a Natural Women's Council on Telegram. Uh, Natural Women's Council on Telegram. Um, I'm building a website. It's on the it's on the long list of things to do. And there's a website, the um, Parents Rights Alliance. We work with that group, and the Irish Education Alliance. We work with it, which is a group of hundreds of teachers and principals who also oppose this coming into schools. Uh, oddly enough, they submitted a statement as well to Norma Foley and all the powers that be. And um, Norma still said that the vast majority of teachers and parents want this, which is blatant, a blatant lie. Um, but the IrishEducationAlliance.com has a tab at the top with all of the campaigns. And there's the curriculum campaign, which we're running. There's also the library campaign. We're still trying to clean up the shelves at the library and move those books from the child section to the adult section, those sexually explicit books. So, Continued success, Jana, to you and um, to, to, to your colleagues. Lovely to have you on the programme today. Thank you very much, Richie. Till next time. Thank you, Jana. Jana London, live on Monday's Richie Allen radio show. Glad the call held up there. I was worried for a moment. Um, I will post links on the podcast. The the website address is given by uh, by, uh, Jana there. It is Monday's programme. The time is coming up for 22 minutes to the top of the hour. Richie Allen with you till 7 o'clock. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk Thank you for your messages today. I'm going to read out lots of them now. Lots came in on the subjects we were discussing in the monologue. Good evening to Mimi, who says, Cheer me up, Richie. I've had one hell of a day. Hope I cheered you up somehow. (laughs) Hi to Max in Brighton. Uh, hi, Max, and Sonny Brighton there. Chris says, Zelensky, that's uh, Vladimir Zelensky, and Rishi Sunak, the UK Prime Minister, confirmed the next season of The War. It's going to Netflix, says Chris. Uh, John Sim is playing Green T-shirt Man, and Sunak is being played by the Inbetweeners fella. Thanks for that. <laughs> hi to Max Steinhauser. Hi, Max, who's back from Malaga, and he's made it back just in time for the show. Hope you had a good time in Spain, Max. I love it. Sam says he or she is loving the app. Thank you very much. D- 
Dave says, uh, Richie, you are a right backstard. I've had the Russ Abbott song in my head all weekend long. Yeah, I think last Thursday I might have given a spin of What an Atmosphere by The Great Russ Abbott because I'm kind of like that, yes. Leanne says, I've been thinking. Yes, I need to go and have a lie down. But what if Elon Musk, etc. And, and, and his ilk are saying that we should stop AI so that they can blame future cyber attacks on AI, but it is actually them pulling the strings. Tell you what, Leanne, that's not a bad shout at all. And David says, well, Germany is sending tanks over the border to Poland to go to Ukraine. So maybe history repeats itself with the Hitler announcement. Uh, says David, thank you. Yes, commuters on a train bound for Vienna in Austria yesterday, Sunday, were treated to Hitler's voice on the Tannoy system, on the, 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 the intercom system. <laughs> it was pranksters, obviously. Pranksters, God damn it. It was pranksters and uh, pranking people, yes. Hi to Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Mark in Warrington. Speaking about gay actors complaining about straight actors playing gay characters... If you understood that, that's a bit of a mouthful. Mark says, uh, so is the gay actor advocating that gay actors shouldn't play straight roles then? Isn't acting literally pretending to be someone else? That's what I would have thought, Mark. Again, Tom Hanks, whatever anybody thinks of him, did an absolutely stand-up job. Play- I can't remember the character's name. should remember the name of the character because I saw the film more than once because it's a good movie. You remember, you remember Philadelphia? Tom Hanks plays a high-powered attorney working for a firm that's a um, pretty big firm that, that, that's pretty well-known. And the senior partners notice that he has lesions on his face because he's got advanced AIDS, right? They never knew he was gay, uh, the Tom Hanks character, because Tom was a, his character was an old-style, you know, an old-fashioned gay guy, you know, Gay guys just got on with things, didn't they? It wasn't that important to them that everybody knew they were gay. Um, or maybe his character at the time was concerned about discrimination. Who knows? But anyway, the partners discover he's gay and they try to fire him. Do fire him. And they make up some cock and bull story about him um, making a mistake on the job, which he didn't do. But it's brilliantly acted by Tom Hanks and also by Denzel Washington, who's the uh, the lawyer hired by Tom Hanks and he doesn't like gay people too much either, at least not in the beginning anyway. It's a brilliant film, and Tom Hanks is exceptional in it. And, you know, the scenes where, you know, he is in the arms of Antonio Banderas, his uh, lover, his soulmate, the love of his life, those are beautifully sensitive scenes, and Tom Hanks is a straight man, but yet he was able to convince people, watching in the cinema, that um, he was in love with Antonio Banderas. But there's a, a movement now, amongst actors, gay actors, that, well, he shouldn't be playing a gay man because he's not a gay man. It's a load of bollocks, you know. That's what it is. It's bollocks. Monica says, so who, in the opinion of these activists, should have played Robin Williams' character in Mrs. Doubtfire? A trans give over, says Monica. (laughs) That's right. Well, he wasn't playing a trans, was he? He was actually playing the character in Mrs. Doubtfire was estranged from his children and decided to apply for the job of the children's nanny and decided the only way to do that was to convince his ex-wife that he was a 
gentle, eccentric, old Scottish nanny. So not really a trans character. But I hear you, Monica. Can't believe you've got me talking about this stuff. <laughs> Christopher says Ed Balls should grow a pair, you know, and take it on. But the presenters won't take it on because they're terrified of being cancelled. I wish, I'd love to be a presenter on national telly now. Not, not for, the, for the exposure. I don't want it. Not for the fame. I don't want it. I don't need it. But just so I could slap some of these people, metaphorically, slap them down and call them out for, for what they are, which is blathering, blithering muppets, idiots. Good evening to Cliff Moore, who says, Richie, I agree, presenters must call this crap out. Let's rename Ed Balls, Ed No Balls. But he's on the TV for a purpose, and it's not to go against the pushed narrative, says Cliff. Thank you for that, Cliff. And Bob in California says, where does this gender-bending fad come from? It's here too. Who or what is the invisible hand? Asks Bob. Thank you, Bob. Maybe you have an answer, Bob. Maybe Jana London is right. I don't know. And Isabel was in there with something. Was she to say something? We had something from Isabel there. Did we? Have I lost it? I've probably lost it. The, 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 did, I, did I lose it? Isabel says, by demanding that gay roles are reserved for gay people, the the actor makes it sound like gay people are not good enough actors to bag straight roles. He is insulting his own identity group. What an idiot, says Isabel. And I echo that as well. Lots of messages coming in on today's programme. Thank you for them. Shall I take... And, and, and the straight guy from Gary Owen says, don't mention the hurling. Let's not mention the hurling. This idiot presenter thought the hurling between Clare and Waterford was on Sunday. In fact, it took place on Saturday and I missed the whole bloody thing. And it's kind of just as well, really. It's kind of just as well that I missed the hurling on Saturday. Can you believe me own dog did that to me, can you? This is Boyzone Picture Review on the Richie Allen Show, Monday's edition. Yeah, it featured in the film Bean. I think it was Bean, Rowan Atkinson. I can whinge now because it's coming up to 12 minutes to the top of the air. I can whinge now. But you know, I've spoken to you before on the show about insomnia and my, my personal battle with insomnia, which I've had since I've been about 15 years old. Most evenings, I'd be lucky to get four, maybe five hours sleep, but it's been particularly nasty lately. I don't know what's going on with it. But uh, yesterday I went to bed just before 9 o'clock and I woke up around about 12.45am. That's quarter to one in the morning and I've been awake ever since. It's a strange one. I don't get wound up by it. I don't get upset by it because I'm used to it. So I don't um, work myself into um, a bit of a state, which which you you could imagine people would do if they were unfamiliar with, with insomnia. And I don't do that. I just kind of go with it. And I think, well, I'll drift off, but I'll get maybe an hour here or there. But I didn't last night. So I've basically been up since 1.45am. And I'm about to collapse now, to be honest. <laughs> so hopefully tonight I'll get a bit of sleep. But last night was a strange one. I don't know. And the missus tells me that I, I, I have these conversations in my sleep, which are weird. When people talk in their sleep, they are unintelligible. They, they speak very quickly and you can't really make out what they're saying. So I don't know if there's some sort of possession thing going on, but uh, yes, yes, it's one of those, isn't it? So um, it's one of those bloody things. But somebody said to me once, Richie, why don't you try a little bit of hypnosis? And I thought, 
maybe. But to be honest with you, I've got a bit of a phobia about hypnosis. I wouldn't trust. I wouldn't trust a hypnotist, a hypnotherapist. I wouldn't trust. I just have visions of coming out of the um, clinic and running down the road looking for a pot of gold, you know, screaming about leprechauns. I could just see that happening to me, you know, and my insomnia would, would be just as bad, except now I'm saddled with an insatiable desire to discover leprechauns and their pots of gold, dear listener. So insomnia has been suggested to me over the years. Uh, sorry, hip, see, there you go. Hypnotherapy, but uh, I'm not having it. No, God, no. Oh, Jesus. I went to a couple of stage hypnotherapy shows, stage hypnotist shows when I was younger, and um, they were funny, but they were also a bit sobering, a bit scary. You might just be able to hear the aircon. I've switched the aircon on because it's very warm in studio. Then again, you might not be able to hear it. But I do have it on full, on full fan because it's been mighty warm today so it has in the studio anyway and Devi has been on to say hi Devi Richie I know how shite insomnia is we are brothers Devi or we are brother and sister yeah you know the insomniac when you meet them but um, it's one of those things it's weird I, I, I've never been able to tie it down to anything you know any specific cause the root cause of it I don't know but um, you just learn to live with it I operate on very little sleep I, I get up and I'm in pretty good form. And if my better half was here, she would confirm that. I'm an amiable, genial guy. I get up knackered, but I take the dogs out. 5.30, we go for a walk. We get back by 6.30. I start in on the website if I can. And I start thinking about the show. And then I go for a run. And you just get on with it. And then you go to bed. I mean, I'll be in bed now. I'll probably stay up a little bit today because there is a very interesting football match about to take place at um, the King... Power Stadium in Leicester. Leicester play Liverpool and everything is up for grabs. Leicester are trying to avoid relegation. Liverpool, the mighty Liverpool, are attempting to secure a Champions League play. So I'll watch a bit of that. But I'm generally in bed by about 9.30. That's the life, isn't it? But um, yeah, anyhow. Richie, I come here to be cheered up. That's what you say. I come here to be cheered up. I don't need to be listening to your tales of woe. Okay, I'll stop with the tales of woe then, so I will. Interesting guests coming up this week. John Kitson reached out to me. John's a really nice guy. Because of all the COVID stuff, I've not spoken to John for about three years, but he's very active in raising awareness about 5G and the dangers of 5G. So John will be on the programme with me this week. I'm not sure we haven't tied down a date yet. I was supposed to get in touch with John today, but it didn't happen because I've been um, snowed under busy. But speaking of 5G, a counsellor, would you believe, in Waterford, in Port Lariga, in Waterford, has been asking questions about the safety of 5G. And this is a gentleman whose name is Seamus O'Donnell, I believe. Um, yeah, Seamus O'Donnell. He is a councillor in Waterford. I don't know if he's an independent councillor, Seamus, or if he's Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Sinn Féin, Workers' Party, God knows. I don't know where he is, Labour, I have no idea. But um, I was reading the Waterford News and Star, because I like to keep in touch with the old sod, and the old, the old, the old patch that I used to, uh, my my old patch, because I worked for WLRFM in Waterford at one time, and I would know the Waterford News and Star quite well. So Seamus O'Donnell attended a plenary meeting in City Hall last week. You know, plenary meeting, planning and whatnot, I believe. And he asked Waterford. He asked if a safety. Your voice goes up really high there when it's important. He asked. He asked. He asked if a safety inspection could be carried out on Waterford's 5G masts. Now, 
local authorities is kind of entry-level politics. So this might be considered small time. But Mark Windows, the great Mark Windows, if he was here today, he'd say, Ah, Richie, but you have it bass-ackwards. Ass-backwards, you've got it. Because it's all happening at a local level, and he's right. It's a global agenda, but it's been rolled out locally, and Mark Windows is the man when it comes to that. So Seamus O'Donnell says, um, does the council know, that's Waterford City Council, if the council could have powers to keep a 5-mast, a 5G mast, 5 metres away from any house? Now, I would have thought Seamus O'Donnell needs to have another think, because if a 5G mast is 5 metres away from a domicile, from a house, and um, it's doing harm to the occupants of said domicile. Well, we know this, you and me, because we know this stuff, right? But at least he's asking the question. He asked the council if the council realised if the 5G masks were, in fact, a danger to health. He asked about permission to James O'Donnell at this plenary meeting. Who gave permission for these 5G masks to be erected? He referenced a CNN report about a city in America. And then he asked, as I said, if a safety inspection could be carried out on Waterford's 5G masts, and the council did not respond to his request. Now, that's a rather interesting final line in the Waterford News and Star article. Didn't respond. Didn't say, uh, no, Seamus. Or, as they would say in meeting, in session, they would say, no, Councillor O'Donnell. No, we won't be having any safety inspection. They just ignored him, it seems. So we need to get talking about this again on the programme and John Kitson might come back on and talk to me uh, this week. We've lots coming on, lots going on this week on the Richie Allen Show. And I've um, started a counselling group for people with insomnia. Mike in Hull has been on to say, I occasionally feel a click, I'm with you on insomnia and I know I'm looking forward to no sleep. It's rubbish, but like you, I've learned to live with it. That's all you can do, Mike, I think. David says alcohol sorts out my insomnia. But David, alcohol can be counterproductive. Alcohol can have the opposite effect when it comes to insomnia. It can exacerbate the issue because alcohol leads to a rapid heartbeat and a little bit of high blood pressure and that can keep you up nights as well, you see. So there is that too. Billy has been on to say, good evening, Billy, who says, Billy says the best thing to cure insomnia is a good night's sleep, says Billy. Billy, I've... I've just authorised people who find people online to go and find you, Billy. And when we do find you, we're going to kick nine kinds of horses shit out of you, Billy. That's just not funny. Okay, it's a little bit funny. I'll give you that. Okie doke. And Chris says that Professor Sucharit or Sukarit Bakti is being prosecuted in Germany for Holocaust denial. I did hear a whispering. I did hear a whispering. Um, Thomas Binder. MD, Dr. Thomas Binder was in touch with me to tell me that. Right, that's it for me. I want to say thank you to David Vance. Go to davidvance.net. He will be interviewing Naomi Wolf at 8 o'clock tonight if you'd like to hear more from Naomi Wolf, Go and listen to her speak with David. And thank you again to Jana London um, Education as always. Right, back with you tomorrow. That is Tuesday at 5 o'clock UK time for, would you believe it, Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. I'm closing out with this song which um, so many of you have got in touch with me to say, Richie, I can't believe you played it. And it's stuck in my brain, Richie. And I can't get it out of there. This won the Grammy for Best Pop Song, 1988. It did in my hairy arse. It's Russ Abbott and Atmosphere closing out today's programme. Bye.
Bye, 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 bye.